Amen. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. Uh, this morning as I was uh, just praying and getting some final preparations for the, the sermon this morning, I wanted to just read some scripture and uh, just spend some time seeking the Lord through His Word and, and just kind of come in here energized and ready uh, to proclaim the truth of His Word to His people. And so, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but um, I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you're like, I don't know kind of where exactly to go in the Bible. So I'm, I'm going to just randomly pick a chapter or a verse. And so I was using my computer, and I went to the website that I used to, to look up scriptures. And I just typed in, I'm going to go to the book of Psalms. And then I said, oh, my brother's number in football was 45. So I'm going to go to Psalms 45. Has anybody ever done that? Or just me? Okay. Come on. You guys are making me feel lame. Okay. So, but this was of God. Have you had those moments, though, where you go to the scriptures and you say, Lord, this is from you. So I went to Psalm 45 this morning, and he directed me specifically to Psalm 45, verse 2. And it says, you are the most handsome of all. Gracious words stream from your lips. God himself has blessed you forever. Let's pray and be done this morning. <laughs> Father, <laughs> I'm telling you, that was no joke. So uh, I know, Keith, you thought that was, uh, I thought, you, you know, I, I'm the handsome one, okay? Just remember that. We are in 1 John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 21, and uh, it's a, a great section of Scripture. I'm, I'm just really excited about uh, the message this morning, and there is a lot to cover, so we're going to actually just dive right in this morning. So if you could turn with me to John, 1 John, chapter 4, and we're going to be covering 21 verses today, so we're going to read a lot of Scripture, which is good for us um, to, to read God's Word. So let's begin by reading verses 1 through 6 of 1 John chapter 4. And it says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. Verse 3. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. Verse 5, those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God, and those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit 
of deception. So when John says, don't believe every spirit, he's not talking about seances or spiritualism or this hooky, out-of-body religious experience. I think sometimes when we've heard that, maybe you've grown up in the church and you say, test every spirit. We we begin looking around, you know, like uh, hoping to see some spirits floating around and we're trying to test, how do we test these spirits? John is not talking about that. He is referring to the spirit that is behind a person, the spirit that motivates a person's teaching or motivates a person's ministry. Some people, church, are led by the Holy Spirit of God. Others have given themselves over to other influences, including, John says, the spirit of Antichrist. When you spend a a lot of time around Christian circles, you begin to recognize what truly motivates people. Some people, sadly, are motivated by money rather than by humility. Some people are infected with a spirit of legalism. Man, they will nitpick and nitpick and nitpick, and it's just all about rules, and there's no, zero, none. There's no relationship. Some people are infected with a spirit of judgment. And you will never be good enough. Even Jesus himself couldn't be the pastor of their church. Some people are infected with the spirit of confusion. Like the scripture says, they're like, a, they're like someone who is tossed by the waves, just back and forth. They don't know what they believe. They don't know where they stand. And they're just all over the place. In other people... You can detect, you can discern, you can see the loving, humble spirit that mirrors the spirit of Jesus Christ. John is teaching us to test the spirit of an individual so we can protect ourselves from the false teachers Jesus warned us about in Matthew chapter 7. So my question that I wanted to present to us this morning, church, is how do we test the spirits. John gives us two ways we can test the spirit of an individual. First of all, the first way that we can test the spirits is to ask yourself, what kind of fruit is this person producing? In Matthew 7, Jesus said, a tree is marked by its fruit. You know what kind of a tree it is by the fruit that it produces. A person Listen, a person can be fluent in religious jargon, right? They can speak religion. They can speak religious uh, words till they're blue in the face. But his or her heart can be way off. So my encouragement is to listen, to pray, to pray for discernment. Maybe you lack discernment. Seek someone you trust who has the spiritual gift of discernment and ask for counsel. If someone is producing bad fruit, or catch this, church, catch this. If someone is producing bad fruit, or if someone is producing no fruit at all, let what they say go in one ear and out the other. But if someone is producing good fruit, and good fruit, by the way, The Bible says is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love reading that list because it's just so refreshing. If someone is producing that kind of fruit, you know it's a good tree. And I would highly recommend that you listen very closely to what that individual has to say. The second way to test the spirit of an individual is to listen very closely to what they say about Jesus Christ. Do they acknowledge that Jesus is God? Do they acknowledge that Jesus is God in the flesh? That is, did God inhabit human flesh? Is the man Jesus the incarnate Christ, the Son of God? This is a basic doctrine that we celebrate every year at Christmas time. God came in the flesh. Christ is God in the flesh. So what do people say about Jesus? Are they trying to add things to Jesus? Are they trying to take things away from Jesus? Because what false teachers always do is they lessen God and they raise themselves. That's like the fundamental way that false teachers infect people is they lessen God and they raise themselves. They're in it for the money. They're in it for power. They're in it for pride. The true gospel always places God as supreme. That's how you know it's the true gospel is God is raised up as high as you can possibly raise him and man is brought low, is lessened. The true gospel is not about power or money and pride, but rather it's about Jesus. It's about humility. It's about servanthood and bringing glory to God. Two ways, church, to test the spirit of an individual. Someone who says they speak for God. Are they producing the fruit of the spirit and what do they say about Jesus? John says these two simple tests will help you to navigate the treacherous waters of false teaching. And false teachers are abundant. And with the advancement of technology, they're everywhere. So those two simple tests will help you and protect you from false teaching. Let's read verses 7 through 17 of 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love... Let me read that again. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, surely we ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and His love is brought to full expression in us. Verse 13. And God has given us His Spirit as proof that we live in Him and He in us. 
Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in this love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Verse 17. And as we live in God... Our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face Him. We can stand before God with confidence because we live like Jesus here and now in this world. You know, verse 9 says that God showed us how much He loved us. He loved us so much, He sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Since God loved us that much, surely we ought to love one another. The question is, is how do we plan to show our love? Verse 7 through 17 speaks to the involvement of us all. Twelve times. Twelve times in verses 7 through 17, John uses the word we. W-E. We've got to move, church, from me to we. It's, it's the way the church should be. People loving each other, ministering to each other, and proving the reality that God is in our hearts through our actions. Loving one another is ministering to one another. And John is speaking to the fact that every member must be a minister. Theologians call this the priesthood of the believers. The greatest way we can truly love one another is if we all take our priesthood seriously. So, so what is the priesthood of the believers? How do we love one another? We hear that, and I think these words just roll off our back like water off a duck's back. We hear these words so often, but what does it really mean to love one another. So I want to take a few moments this morning to answer that question and to dive in to what does it mean and what is it referred to or what is it talking about when it says the priesthood of the believers. Before God came to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit operated through a select group of people called priests. So if you remember Aaron, the brother of Moses, served as the very first priest. And after Aaron, his sons carried on the priesthood. Old Testament priests were the mediators, or the messengers, you could say, between God and the people. So, in order for people to pray, in order for people to give an offering, in order for people to confess their sins, it all had to be done through a priest. They, they couldn't go directly to God themselves. And so I want to just visually demonstrate this this morning, okay? This is the priest, okay? One individual. This is the Old Testament model. People had to come to the priest to offer um, offerings of worship. Uh, they had to come to the priest to confess their sins. They had to come to the priest uh, to... Uh, to worship. 
And the priest acted as a mediator, and the priest would go to God on their behalf. That's how it looked in the Old Testament model. But then came Jesus. Oh man, Jesus changes everything. His life and his ministry, it turned the Old Testament religious system inside out. On what we call the day of Pentecost, when the first Christ followers gathered in the upper room, they heard the sound of a sudden rushing wind. And the scripture says that tongues of fire landed on everyone's head, which represented the coming of the Holy Spirit in full measure to the church. And the tongues set on everyone's head, not just a select few. From that moment on, instead of a few select priests serving as mediators or go-betweens between God and man, suddenly all the followers of Jesus became a royal priesthood. Priesthood. 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says, You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession." As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Today, we have direct access to the throne of God because of Jesus. You don't have to call a priest or a pastor every time you want to worship. You don't have to call a priest or a pastor every time you want to pray or every time you want to confess your sins to God. It also means that we become priests to one another. What does a faithful priest do for his people? Prays for them, encourages them, watches over them, confronts them, grieves with those who grieve, rejoices with those who rejoice. And as a result, church, the people feel loved, they feel secure, they feel taken care of, they feel blessed. Imagine a church where every member takes his or her priesthood as serious as the priests of the Old Testament. It would be a church full of people that truly love each other. It would be a church that would turn the world upside down. And it would look more like this. This is what the New Testament model should look like. This is us. The Bible says we, not me, we are the body of Christ. And acts of service, acts of kindness, and acts of good works should be going out in all directions. No longer is it everyone comes to me and then I go to God on your behalf. Now because of Jesus Christ living in us, We have direct access to the throne of God. It's no longer this. It's no longer me. It's we. It's us. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, And he gave some to be apostles, and some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Catch this. To prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ 
may be built up. According to these verses, God has uniquely equipped some priestly servants to train others how to serve. So instead of the Old Testament temple system, we now have congregations full of priests with some who are teachers, leaders, and pastors who have been called to equip the church for service. For example, the equipping servant would be the paid pastors or the staff. And those equipped to carry out the good works of ministry would be the volunteers or the congregation. Throughout church history, whenever this plan has been carried out, the church has flourished. The church has produced great fruit. Listen, I'm not a historian, but I know that the early church started out with this beautiful concept of the priesthood of the believers, and they loved one another. They ministered to one another. They took care of one another. Every member, an active minister, allowing good works once again to go out in all directions. But, but over the last couple centuries, most churches have retreated back to the Old Testament model. Most churches have gone back to this, this model. And here's how it looks when churches go back to the Old Testament model. This is going to hit home with a lot of you. Here's how it looks in our current day. A small group of people decide to hire a minister. That's the language they use. We're going to hire a minister, someone to minister for me. And once the minister has been hired, they say, okay, minister, this is what we want you to do. We want you to preach, teach, marry, bury, make hospital calls, visit members, counsel those who are struggling, evangelize the community, raise money, print the bulletins, make sure the church is clean, do the announcements, pray for the sick, manage the finances. Then... At the end of the year, we're going to get our report cards out and decide whether or not you've met our expectations. And if you have, we'll sign you up for another year. And if not, we're going to hire another minister. If the hired minister passionately throws himself into the multitude of tasks and the church starts to grow, and the congregation, maybe, maybe they'll hire some more staff to help take care of all the programs and all the ministering. But again, the congregation pays the minister to do the ministry. The result is, the church ends up with an overworked minister paid by the tithes and offerings of the congregation to fulfill the whole gamut of priestly duties while everybody else passively observes and watches all the while their gifts and their talents are dying from lack of use this is the most widely practiced ministry model in existence today and sadly 
It doesn't have an ounce, not even one single ounce of biblical support. Sadly, this type of structure has left many churches weak, unorganized, and powerless. And honestly, it's a very tough mindset to change. The New Testament model found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 uh, and 12 is crystal clear. It says, you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Not just the pastors, not just the staff, not just the elders. You are the body of Christ. Every member of active minister. It's really quiet. You guys okay? Do I have to look for a new job? Okay. Verse 18 in 1 John chapter 4. Such love has no fear. Ah, That's good. Because perfect love expels, casts out, demolishes, defeats, destroys what you know it it just it expels all fear if we are afraid it is for fear of punishment and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love oh my goodness this is where people live man they think god is out to get them and they know nothing of his love he's not out to get them he's out to redeem them he's out to rescue them he's out to save them Verse 19, we love each other because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how in the world, I added in the world, can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Perfect love, church, is void of fear. What we need is fearless love. So I want to take just a a moment to talk about fear. First of all, all fear... I misread that. First of all, fear, rather, is not of God. Fear is from the enemy. Fear messes with our hearts. Fear floods our hearts with worry and with guilt and with resentment and anger and confusion. Fear whispers into our ears and it says, you're worthless. You're helpless. You're hopeless. You're no good. You're aimless. You you don't know where you're going. You don't have a future. You're no good. God doesn't love you. He's out to get you. And believing these lies will lead us into a horrible state of insecurity. And being insecure will lead us to try to control everything because we're fearful of being hurt or taken advantage of. Or, come on, fellas, we're fearful of being disrespected. I don't want to be disrespected. Instead of being controlled by the fear of insecurity, my encouragement to the church is to abide in God's love. 
to trust God, to pray, and to believe that He will do what is best for you at the right time. Trust Him, believe in Him. You know, another major fear, since we're on the topic of fear, another major fear that people face is the fear of lack. It's a fear that your needs are not going to be met. That God won't come through for you in time. You may be in a situation you've never been in before. Right now, you're facing all kinds of new pressures. You're facing all kinds of responsibilities. You may have needs that are beyond your current resources. And the spirit of fear is attacking you, saying, Maybe you feel like nobody cares. Like nobody knows how I feel inside. Nobody knows how close I am to the edge. Church, can I just say God cares? In fact, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, says you can trust God to come to your rescue. You can trust Him to come to your rescue, even when it seems like nothing is happening in your life. God is working. Church, God has a good plan for you, and He will unveil it at the right time. If you need financial support, He will provide. If it's physical support you need, He will sustain you. If you need emotional support, he will comfort you. He will nourish you. He will bring you back to a place of strength. Lastly, one of the greatest fears that people face, besides public speaking, is the fear of death. Satan uses the fear of death to manipulate us, to mess with us. But Jesus defeated death. When Jesus rose from the grave, he destroyed the enemy's greatest tool, death. When someone dies, we grieve. We do. But you know what? As Christians, we grieve with hope. Yes, we grieve because we miss those that we've lost. We grieve, but we grieve knowing that death isn't final, that death doesn't have the last say. Jesus does. If their faith was in Jesus, we will see them again in heaven. Check out Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Two very incredible verses. I think it explains the gospel, the story of Jesus, like in just two succinct verses, probably better than anywhere else I could find. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. I don't know why, but that makes me sends chills down my spine. For only as a human being 
could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Verse 15. Only in this way could he, Jesus Christ, set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. When we abide in Christ, when we abide in his perfect love, in that place, church, we can truly be fearless because perfect love drives out fear. Abide. Abide. Cling to. Hold on to. Stay with. Stick to. Abide in His love. I want us to revisit the question I asked at the beginning of the sermon this morning. And that question is, is how do we plan to show our love? God showed his love by sending his son. He did something. He took an active step and he demonstrated his love. It just wasn't words. He, it was actions. So how are we going to show our love? To help us practically answer this question, I'm going to give us two suggestions this morning. First of all, you can show your love by signing up to serve next Sunday in our Easter services. All right? Yeah, it's a good way to do it. You might say, why? By the way, if, if you're going, it's Durango, Bayfield, spring breaks next week. Okay, I get it. Some of you have already purchased plane tickets. I get it. But if you could wait to leave till Monday, that would be awesome. Okay? Anyways, why am I asking you to sign up to serve? Why is it important to serve at an Easter service? Here's why. Next Sunday, a lot of newcomers will step foot in our church for the very first time. Maybe it's the very first time they've ever been in a church. By signing up to serve, you're helping to make sure that their first taste of church, their overall experience, is good. As soon as people drive up to Grace Church, they begin to formulate opinions about what God and His people are like. We want people to experience love when they drive up. We want people to experience love when they walk in the doors. We want them to experience love when they drop off their kids, when they worship through song, when they hear the message, and we want them to experience love when they leave. And the only way this can happen is if we take our priestly duties seriously. It doesn't happen with this model. I have tried this model. I have tried to be multiple places at the same time, and I am no good. I stink. This is the model we need, church. After the service, go to the lobby, there's a table, and sign up to serve. Let's, let's move to this. Let it be us. And when people come in here, they go, what in the world is going on here? I just, I've never experienced love in such a way. The second way that we're going to show our love is, is through something I'm really excited about and I'm deeply passionate about. So you've heard me say 
numerous times now how beneficial the Grace Church Summit was for our church. And, man, it's just words, but I can't tell you, church, it has, man, it has blessed me personally so much. It's changing our church as I speak. At the Grace Church Summit, we heard the heartbeat of our church loud and clear, and it was out. You've heard me say that outreach is going to drive the future of Grace Church. So next Sunday, Easter Sunday, we plan to unveil one of the largest outreach initiatives our church has ever attempted. We're taking some big risks. And my motto is, let's go all in. Let's go for it. We're going to launch a community presence like never before. And let me just make it extremely clear. The motivation behind this is to serve. The motivation is to love and to bless our community. The vision of Grace Church is get in, grow up, go out, and go out is what we intend to do. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you and what was Jesus sending us to do? He was sending us to do exactly what he did. Serve. The scripture says Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And next Sunday, we're going to unveil this plan to, to have a community presence like we've never had. So let me, let me answer the why. Why are we doing this? We're doing this to be obedient to Jesus and to get to know our town. We can't love, church. We cannot love people we do not know. Taking this step to serve our community will be a huge step towards becoming a serving church, a church on mission, a gospel-centered church. Why are we doing this? Because we desire to be a biblically functioning community of believers. And we want to show our love because God showed his love for us. How do we plan to do this? I'll tell you next week. All right? Ah, oh, the cliffhanger. <laughs> but let me just say this. The foundation of this call to action will be service. I'm going to ask us, church, to put our serving towels on in a way like we've never done before. We plan to serve our community with love. We're not going to preach people into heaven. We're going to love them into heaven. And we're going to love them into heaven by serving them. And in order for this plan to succeed, it's going to take strong leadership. It's going to take good planning. It's going to take lots of prayer. It's going to take the hand of God. And it's going to take you. We need the body of Christ. We need you to be spiritually healthy. We need you to be fully engaged so the communities around us will see Jesus Christ. You are the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ is healthy, when the body of Christ is loving well and serving well, Jesus Christ will be seen. He will be known. And I would love for everyone to know 
that Grace Church is for La Plata County. We're not against it. We're for La Plata County. Imagine if people said, you know what? I don't believe the same way they do. But man, that church loves people. That church is a huge blessing to have in our community. I don't agree with with their faith, but I am thankful they're in our community. Could you imagine? That's that's my dream. Could you imagine? I'm going to ask the band to come up this morning, and uh, we're going to close with a song. And as they're making their way up, I just want to encourage you, if you are here this morning, you are struggling and you just need someone to pray with you, to encourage you, we actually have a prayer team after the service that is going to be available to just pray for you. This was something else that we needed to do more as a church is we need to pray for one another because sometimes we're facing situations in life that there's not a quick fix, there's not an easy answer. One sermon isn't going to fix everything. What we need is prayer. And so if you need prayer this morning, I I invite you to join our prayer team. They will pray with you. They will pray over you. They will encourage you. And um, we are going to be doing this a lot more to to support one another, to encourage one another. Uh, So I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to close in prayer this morning. Father God, I pray for your favor. I pray for your blessings to be poured out upon the people of Grace Church. I pray that we would learn to love one another better. And I know that that would translate into loving our community better. I pray that we would take our priesthood seriously. Father, I also just want to lift up both services that we're going to be having next Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a great day it's going to be. And I I just want to pray that they will be filled with people And may those people know and hear the heartbeat of Grace Church, that it's for them, that God is for them. May they know that God loves them and we love them. And Father, as we unveil our community presence launch, I pray in Jesus' name that it will greatly exceed our expectations and we we will be able to look back one day and say, look, Look what God has done. I can't even believe it. Look what God has done. We ask these things in the name above all names, Jesus Christ. Amen.